This is Lamentations chapter 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. There are some times that we just need to lament. Times that we feel pain and sadness. And nobody says, you know, I really would like to have a bad day today. I would really like to spend some time being sad. And yet you find that those times when you allow the tears to flow can be therapeutic. They can be healing. They bring relief as you acknowledge the pain that is really there. We try sometimes to cover it up, to hide it, to push it aside, to say it isn't there, to ignore it. Sometimes as Christians, we might even say that it shouldn't be there. We should be full of joy and peace and we shouldn't have that disturbance within us that causes us that pain within. But there are times for lament. There are times for crying out, how long, O Lord? How long must we endure? How long until you come again? And so as the pastoral staff was talking last fall about how we would start the new year after we finished the book of James, we said, you know what? I think it would be good. There have been so many things that have happened in 2020 so much pain, so much challenge that it would be a good way to start the year if we just in January take the book of Lamentations and talk about what biblical lament looks like. And to us, that seemed like a good idea in the fall. And this week, as I was preparing the sermon, I texted the other pastors and I said, I changed my mind. I don't really have the time or the desire to lament right now. Somehow I thought that in going through the book of Lamentations, we would be able to help you lament well things that you're struggling with. And I didn't count in my own mind that when I'm preaching through a book like Lamentations, I'm going to end up in a season of lament myself. And that's where we find ourselves. Lament is 
helpful, though. It's not just simply complaining. It's not just crying. Lament acknowledges that there is a good and sovereign God in control of all things, and also that there are things that disquiet us, things that we are not happy about, things that, that are not right around us. And it reconciles those two things. The acknowledgement that God is still sovereign and also that there is pain. How often people will try and say either God is impotent, he is not able to change our circumstances, he's not able to take away the pain, or that God is in some way not loving because there exists pain. But lament helps us to say, no, there is pain, that is real. We do struggle. There are challenges within us and around us. And at the same time, acknowledges that God is still sovereign. That he is the one bringing the pain or allowing the pain, and also the one to whom we will turn and cry out and say, can you bring relief knowing that he is able that his mighty hand is not too short to save, but that he can do it. It is our heart's cry, sometimes in articulate ways and sometimes in inarticulate ways, against the things that we see around us and the things that are bringing us suffering against the destructiveness of ungodliness and against the, the um, righteous judgment of God that we see as it judges sin. One commentator defines lament this way. Lament is a heartfelt, heartfelt cry of sorrow as we pour ourselves out to God in prayer. It serves the Christian as an interpreter of life's pains and sorrows. It takes the thing that is happening and it interprets what lies underneath and beyond whatever is happening. Christian lament is one of the most theologically rich things that we can do, and it ought to be because, you, because what you really think about God, yourself, and the world surfaces in those moments. That's what lament is. It's recognizing, hey, there's pain here, there's injustice here, there's something I don't like here, and it doesn't just look at the surface, I don't like this, but looks deeper beyond that and says, why is this a problem? Why is this pain here? What is it about God's character that allows this? Or what is it about this that is happening? What are the theological implications and reasons for it? And it deals there. And then it doesn't just express the complaint, but it takes it in prayer to God. It's one of the most powerful ways that we can pray. But because it's uncomfortable and we don't like it, we often avoid it. Perhaps you, like me, find that you are an apt complainer, but a poor lamenter. I find it easy to complain about stuff. Oh, I don't like what's going on over there. I don't like the way that so-and-so has said that such and such. I'll complain. I'll complain to myself, I'll complain to my wife, I'll complain to anybody who will listen, and I'll complain to some people who won't listen. I find I'm much slower 
to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't like this. I'm much slower to take the time to look at the roots of what's going on and why it's a problem, why it is disconnected from the order that God created for his creation and why it might be happening or bring it to him in a form of lament and say, how long, O Lord, must this go on? I'm too easily content to just complain about the sports team that lost yesterday rather than recognizing the deep pains and going to the Lord before them. In fact, the Hebrew word for lament is echa, which is an onomatopoeia. Okay, onomatopoeia is one of those words like buzz. It sounds like what it means. And uh, in English, if I were to make it an onomatopoeic way of saying lament, I would say, ah! That's, that's the, what the word lament means in Hebrew. I picture Lucy from the Peanuts cartoons with her mouth open real wide going, ah! I can't stand it! That's lament. Before we get right into lamentations, I want to back up just a little bit and help us understand the context for lamentations. Why is it, why is this lament written? You see, the prophet Jeremiah had been preaching to Judah, the nation of Judah, and had been warning them, look, you know how the kingdom's been divided, and there was northern Israel, and there was southern Judah, after the reign of King David and King Solomon, and then the, the, uh, the nation got divided. And do you remember Judah? Do you remember how Israel stopped being faithful to the Lord? Do you remember how they chased after foreign gods? Do you remember how they worshipped the Baals? Do you remember how all of that was happening? Do you remember Judah? The consequences of that? How the Assyrians came in and wiped them out and dragged them out? of their land and overthrew them and you thought you were invulnerable you thought oh yeah that was because they divided from us and we have jerusalem the dwelling place of god we're the true people of god yeah all the nation of israel was god's people but then when they split we were the true ones we were the line of david we were true Israel right here. But I'm warning you, Jeremiah said, I'm warning you. What happened to northern Israel is going to happen to you. Because you also are worshiping foreign gods. You also are not uh, submitting to the Lord. You're not praising Him. You're not worshiping Him. You're giving the sacrifices, if at all, with wrong motives and wrong attitudes. Let's listen to how he talks about this in Jeremiah chapter 1. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. Against all its walls, all around, and against all the cities of Judah, 
and I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. I'm going to bring in these foreign countries. I'm going to plant myself right outside Jerusalem and all the walls in Judah, and they're going to take it over. Jeremiah 3. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there played the whore? And I thought, after she's done all these things, then she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, and how I had sent her away with a decree of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear. But she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with every stone and tree. Yet with all this, her treacherous sister did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. God says, you were my people. I was a husband to you. We were wed in covenant to one another. And you watched as my covenant was broken by your sister Israel. And how because of her unfaithfulness, I sent her away. I divorced her and I broke that covenant off because she had broken it with me. And you, you acted like a whore with all these idols. Worshipping rocks and trees. And headed down that same path. Jeremiah chapter 5. But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. And when your people say, why has the Lord God done all these things to us? You shall say to them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve foreigners in a land that is not yours. He says, I'm not going to completely wipe you out and destroy you. But because you have worshipped foreign gods, foreigners are going to come in here and they're going to drag you out. The remnant of you who, are, who survived this are not going to live here. You're going to get dragged out into a foreign country because you have been worshiping foreign gods. Jeremiah chapter 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who entered those gate, these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice, uh, if you truly ex execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of, your, of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered. 
only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and to your forefathers as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. Judah believed that it was special. All these false prophets were going, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord. The Lord would not allow it to get destroyed. Jeremiah had been preaching, repent, repent, turn back to the Lord. Or he's going to bring destruction and the foreign armies are going to come in and drag you out of here. And the false prophets were going, they won't, they won't. Remember how the Assyrian kings thought they would do that? Remember Sennacherib? Remember how they came in and they lined up and they were going to defeat us and we all prayed and the Lord delivered us and the whole army was wiped out by the angel of death and we didn't have to do anything? Remember all that? We're going to be fine. This is the place of the Lord. This is where the Lord dwells. This is his special place. This is the place of the fulfillment of his covenant. He made a covenant with David that one of his descendants would reign on the throne forever and ever, and forever and ever isn't over yet. We're going to be fine. Yeah, it's hard, I know, but it's going to be fine. We're the most powerful nation of the world. It's going to be fine. And Jeremiah's going, no, it's not. Because the Lord says that every time you repent, you repent, repent in pretense. You say, oh, we repent, we're so sorry, Lord. But then you go right back to doing what you were doing. Flirting with the foreign gods. What are you doing? Jeremiah 23 Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. But they were making it up. And Jeremiah preached and proclaimed and warned. And the people threatened him and refused to listen. God's people stubbornly, persistently refused to remain faithful to God. And do you know what happened? The king of Babylon came. The armies came. They came into Judah and they came up against Jerusalem. And they laid siege on Jerusalem for 18 months before it was overthrown. 
The people inside Jerusalem were starving to death. Because they were cut off from all of their supplies. They were watching their neighbors die. They were watching family members die. At one point in Lamentations, it tells us that they were watching the children die and then eating the children to try and stay alive themselves. And then it was overthrown. And the great walls around Jerusalem were taken down. And the Capitol building, the, 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 the king's temple was taken, or the king's palace was taken down. And the temple of the Lord was destroyed. And Jeremiah went, Ah! I can't stand it! This wasn't just like a hometown of someone being destroyed. It wasn't their childhood home growing up. It wasn't just like the place where they lived and worked, like Wilsonville, being overthrown and destroyed. It wasn't even like just the capital city, like, or a mo the most prominent city in the country, like New York or, or Washington, D.C., being burned down. What we're talking about is the place of the fulfillment of God's covenant to his people, the place of promise. God had made a covenant with Abraham right in this area. If not in Jerusalem on Mount Zion, very near there. He made his covenant with, with Abraham saying, I am going to make you into a great people and I will be your God and you will be my people and I will make you a blessing to all nations. And all nations are going to be blessed through you. He reiterated that covenant with Moses to his people as he brought them out of Egypt and he brought them into this land. He brought them to this place. Jerusalem was the centerpiece. It was the heart of the promised land. The covenant that he had made. And then he takes David and he says, David, you are my king and I'm going to install you in this place. And you're going to reign here. You and your descendants are going to reign on the throne from Jerusalem forever. And David said, that's so awesome. I'm not worthy of that. I want to build a temple so that you can be worshipped in this place, so that you may have a house to dwell in, so that you can live, dwell among your people here in Jerusalem, right in this most prominent city. And God said, well, not you, but your son Solomon. And so Solomon built an enormous temple. Gorgeous the heart of worship, the place where people could come and worship God and be cleansed of their sin. Sinful people could come and offer sacrifices and be cleansed of their sin in the presence of God because this was the representation of the place where God lived with His people. And Jeremiah has prophesied and prophesied and warned people, repent, repent, because the Lord really will come and destroy this place in judgment. 
We can't keep doing this. We can't keep worshiping over there and then find the favor of the Lord. We must repent. We must turn back to him and then he will take us back. And they didn't. And Jeremiah is watching the destruction of Jerusalem and crying out, going, God, how can it be? I know that they were unfaithful. I know that they sinned. I know that they flirted with foreign gods. But God, this is the place of your promise. This is the place of your presence with your people and it's being destroyed, God. God, we have people here who are eating their children because of the nations are coming against them. God, what is going on? And he writes this book of Lamentations because he understands not just the reality of the place and the country that he lives in falling, but the theological implications of God's chosen people having not glorified him and not been a blessing to the nations because of God's blessing to them. Now being overthrown in judgment to demonstrate to the nations that the God is not just sovereign but just. And Jeremiah laments. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. Lamentations is, is written in this poetic form. Isn't that an amazing opening line? How lonely sits the city that was full of people. In fact, this poetry throughout Lamentations is an acrostic. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so he goes through the letters of the alphabet 22 times, 22 verses in chapter 1, one for each letter of the alphabet. 22 verses in chapter 2, one for each letter of the alphabet. 66 verses in chapter 3, the centerpiece of Lamentations. Three verses for every letter of the alphabet. Chapter 4, 22 verses, one for every letter of the alphabet. Signifying the completeness of this lament. And chapter 5, 22 verses, no longer 
no longer an acrostic. Still the same form, but it's as if Jeremiah in his pain, in his weeping, in his expression of this, sees even the form of his lament breaking down in chapter 5. But in this, he is recognizing, see this is the first piece of lament. We're going to be talking about lament this week and then for the next three weeks. This is the the first piece and what, what we want to notice is how he acknowledges the reality of the pain and the suffering. He doesn't dismiss it or ignore it, but he just highlights it and, and complains it to God. We'll be talking more about that in weeks to come. But he identifies it and acknowledges these are the things that are real about what's happening. Here are some of the things that he says in Lamentations 5. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill. The boys stagger under the loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate. The young men have left their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. This is our heart. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. He's just going through and going, look, God, look at all these things that are happening. Look at all the things that are happening. Look at all the pain. Look at all the destruction. Look at all the suffering. Look at all the affliction. Look at all the injustices. Because we have sinned. Because we turned away from you and we did not trust you. Oh Lord. Our grief. And our shame. Because of this. We also lament. We need to lament. Not just complaining, not just whining, not just saying, oh, I don't like the way that that politician said that. 
I don't like the thing that they did. I don't like the way that they're treating us. Not just whining about the things that we're uncomfortable with or that we don't like. My boss is so unfair. My neighbor is so annoying. It's not just whining or griping about things being unfair. It's the lament that acknowledges the real pains that we're feeling and that we have a God who's sovereign. How, O Lord, are we experiencing these pains when you are sovereign? Sometimes we understand why it's happening. Sometimes we understand where the pain is coming from. We see the destruction, we see the brokenness, we see the sin in ourselves and in those around us and how that sin results in pain and suffering. At other times, like in Job, you don't know where it's coming from or why it's here. God, I don't understand. Why is the faithful suffering? but we can lament. We can list them out before the Lord and acknowledge these are the things that we see around us. These are the things that we don't like. These are the things that seem unfair. These are the things that are causing us pain and anguish. These are the things that we just look at and go, that is not right or okay. And seek to understand what God is doing in the world. We want to bring it to him in prayer and recognize that he is sovereign and say, God, we understand that you have allowed this to happen or you have brought this about and we know that you are the one that can take this away. And so, Lord, I am going to express my complaint to you because you are not so distant, not so far that I can't express myself but I want to acknowledge to you what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling about this. Because I know that, one, you are able to do something about it. You could remove this if you so choose. And two, that if you choose not to, you must have something deeper in mind that I don't understand. And so having voiced my complaint, I can leave it with you and find peace. You see, we can't short-circuit it and jump straight to the peace. We would like to. We'd like to just be at peace all the time. True Christians should, right? True Christians should. Oh, yes, that injustice happened to us, but I have peace because I'm following the Lord, and the Lord is with me. No, there's real struggle, there's real misunderstanding that we don't understand what God is doing. And so we do cry out and we do express ourselves to God and we do lament and it's after that that we can receive the peace. I think that we have to be careful about how we lament, though, and what we identify as we lament. We, we do need to recognize there are some differences between our context and Jeremiah's context, right? We don't live in a nation, in a land, that's in a covenant relationship with God. 
God's people who are in a covenant relationship with him are all over the world in a variety of circumstances and contexts. We lament on their behalf, on how they're being treated. Some perhaps here in the States, some in other parts of the world, and we see that and we lament that. But we don't have the same promises to our country. That doesn't mean we don't care. We do care. And we're called to intercede. We're called to pray for the secular communities and governments that are, are around us and that we are under. We're called to intercede on their behalf. God, would you do something? But we expect there to be brokenness in those secular institutions and secular places, right? We expect there to be sin in those places and the consequences for, for sin also following, which is why we intercede. But we also want to lament and recognize when the brokenness is because of issues with disconnectedness with God, because of sin. And we want to lament any time we see uh, fellow Christians who are suffering. and cry out and complain to the Lord and ask for his healing and for restoration. You see, unlike Jeremiah, we have the hope of a new covenant. Jeremiah had that hope. He's the one who preached it. Jeremiah 23. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will arise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. Interesting, as Judah was falling and Israel was no more, that he's making these claims. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but instead they will say, as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of the countries where he had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Again in Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand out of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And that new covenant has been enacted in Jesus. When God sent his people away and said, You have broken my covenant, and I divorce you, for your unfaithfulness, and I'm sending you out of my presence. Now he makes a new covenant enacted by the, through the blood of Jesus so that even 
and even though we have that hope of that new covenant having been enacted by Jesus, yet we lament the things that have not been fully restored, even as Jesus himself lamented. Matthew chapter 23. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He saw what was going on in Jerusalem. And his mourning. This was after they'd come back from exile, right? back into Jerusalem again, had been reestablished. And even then, Jesus was coming and looking around going, but the attitudes, the hearts of you guys is just like it was in the time of Jeremiah. How I wish I could gather you and bring you in together. And so we also lament. We lament when we see people walking away from the Lord. We lament when we see those who are disenfranchised and wounded by the church. We lament when we see church leaders who fail morally and it causes brokenness and division in the church. We lament when we see the brokenness and the division in our communities work their way into the church. We lament when we see people hurt one another. We lament being in a pandemic where we have to be like this. No shared meals. No hugs, handshakes, smiles are covered. How are we supposed to be acting as the community of God's people in a context like this? We lament. We lament. And so I'm sorry that last fall, the pastoral staff decided it would be a good idea to go through the book of Lamentations. Because it's not fun to lament, but it is necessary. And the season seems right. And so for the next several weeks, we will be talking about facing the facts and acknowledging these are real pains and real sufferings and complaining to the Lord about those things. Pastor John Roberts is going to be coming and, and preaching on that, complaining to the Lord. And then turning to God, and Pastor Scott will be coming and preaching on that, over the next couple of weeks on what it means to turn to God in the midst of this kind of situation and context. And then how we trust God and praise Him nonetheless. And I'll be preaching on that over the next couple of weeks. But for now, Let's acknowledge and take some time, maybe even set some time aside later today or this week to list out, Lord, these are my complaints. You can do it in, in acrostic, 26 lines, 
one for each letter? Or just let it flow from your heart? But we'll acknowledge, Lord, there are pains and sufferings that we are facing and that those around us are facing. And we'll give it to him. Father, we find ourselves in this place in a place where the world is not yet right. Lord, we know that Jesus has come. He has defeated sin and death. He has made a way for us to be reconciled to you. And yet we still see pain and destruction around us. And yet we still struggle with sin ourselves. And we still see brokenness within the community. Lord, we find that there are times when it is very hard to be joyful. When people are isolated and depressed and frustrated and they don't feel like they have a community because of the distance. Lord, we, we don't like the inhibitions that we have in coming together, the, the constraints that we have in expressing the fellowship and the love and the community that we have in this place. And so, Lord, we ask, would you come quickly? Because we know that when Jesus returns, all things will be restored. And we recognize that the brokenness that we feel, the pain and the suffering that we experience merely highlight that this world is not our home. But even knowing that in our minds, our hearts cry out because of the pain. And so we ask, how long, O Lord, until you come again? May you reign sovereign forever. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.